Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Today we are going to take a look, a closer look at Acts chapter 3. It's a long chapter. I'm just going to scratch the surface. And one of the things I suggest is sometime during the week, reread the chapter and notice if there is other details, other words, other images, or other truths that God wants to bring to your attention. This chapter can really be divided into kind of two sections, the healing and the sermon after the healing. In the sermon, the Apostle Peter makes it really clear that the healing was only made possible by faith in the name of Jesus. So let's set the scene. The healing in this chapter is an example of the signs and wonders that are mentioned in Acts 2.43. Peter and John are headed to the temple to pray. Let's remember who Peter and John are. They are disciples. Uh, they are two of the disciples that were very, very close to Jesus, shared just about every big experience with Jesus. They would have been known to those in Jerusalem around the temple. They would have been known as the apostles. This time would have been after the resurrection. It would have been after many encounters with the risen Jesus. It would have been after they were actually commissioned by Jesus, as we even read today, to be witnesses, to be ambassadors. So Peter and John approach the temple, and they encounter a layman who calls to them. It is important to remember that this man, this crippled beggar, would have been well known to them. We are told that he was crippled from birth and that he was carried to the gate every day to beg. As the beggar calls out to the apostles for money, we are told that Peter fixes his eyes on him. I want to just pause for a moment, for I think this is a very amazing moment in the story. Peter one of Jesus' ambassadors, basically Jesus' representative, hears the call of the beggar and fixes his eyes on him. Most people would have tried to ignore the beggar and look past him, but not Jesus, not Peter. It is good for us to be reminded that when we call out to God, when we call out to Jesus, he not only hears us, but he sees us. The beggar wanted money to improve his condition, but God wanted to give him so much more. Peter did not have any money, but he did have authority from Jesus to heal the sick. In Luke 9, 1, we are told that Jesus gave the apostles power and authority to drive out all demons, to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. Peter and John were not only going to meet and see the beggar, but they were not going to give him money to make his life more bearable. They were something else that God had in mind. They wanted to transform his life by the power of the risen Jesus Christ. So they heal the lame man. Verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, Peter helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
Now at this point, I just want to make a comment. I don't believe that Peter did this healing on a whim. He looked at the man and thought, eh, maybe it'd be a good time to add to my resume and heal this guy. No, I think like many scholars that it was through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that Peter understood that God was going to do something radical. And God gave Peter the supernatural ability to trust him and use him to do something completely out of the ordinary. We are told that the onlookers were astonished and filled with wonder and amazement. Remember, they knew this man. They knew that he was lame. There was no doubt that he was healed. Peter would have noticed the crowd and he would have taken advantage of the situation. He saw the crowd was interested. He knew, though, that signs and wonders alone would never bring a crowd to Jesus. Saving faith does not come just from seeing or hearing about miracles. The crowd needed to hear the good news. The crowd needed to hear the gospel. The crowd needed to meet the risen Jesus. They needed to repent. They needed to believe. Jesus very quickly told the crowd that this miracle was not a result of their own power, of his own godliness. Peter was able to do this kind of healing because of the power and authority that Jesus had given him. There was power and authority in the name of Jesus. The crowd needed to know that Jesus, the Jesus that they killed, the Jesus that rose from the dead, it was that Jesus. It was that Jesus. It was the name of that Jesus. It was the power of the name that healed this man. Jesus had performed all kinds of signs and wonders when he lived on earth. But this healing reminded the crowd that there was continuing power in the name of Jesus. Jesus had given his apostles power and authority to act in his name. Remember the words of Jesus in John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Something to think about. I wonder how many of us really believe that. Really, they believe that as believers, as followers of Christ, we could be used. Do we believe in the power and authority of the name of Jesus? At this point, it'd be nice. The sermon could be done. It was over, but it was not. Peter had a lot of things he wanted to say to the Jews. For he realized that the Jews had missed the Messiah. They still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. In verses 13 to 15, Peter tells the Jews that it is Jesus, the Jesus of power, the Jesus of might, the resurrected Jesus, that they actually handed over to the Romans to be killed. Peter boldly places the, the, the guilt of Jesus' death on the Jews. The Jewish leaders applied pressure on the Romans to arrest Jesus, Pilate was determined to let Jesus go, but the Jewish mob insisted on freeing a murderer and crucifying Jesus. Peter was bold. 
Peter was actually taking his life into his own hands when you think about it, because here he was basically saying to the Jews, you made a horrific mistake. You killed the Messiah. Some commentators say the miracle of the speech of Peter is far more wonderful than the miracle wrought by the healing of the man. For Peter confronted the Jews with their sin. He was bold. In verse 17, however, Peter acknowledges that they may not have been aware of who Jesus really was or of what they were actually doing when they killed him. But God had said all along that the Messiah would be killed, and he knew exactly what they were doing, and he used it to further his plan. Peter wanted to make sure that the crowd understood that they needed to acknowledge their guilt, and they needed to repent. They needed to change their ways. They needed to understand that they needed to accept Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. He was clearly telling them, you might not have known who Jesus was then, but I'm telling you now. Jesus was the Messiah, the suffering servant, the holy and righteous one. He was the author of peace. They could no longer plead ignorance. They needed to repent, and they needed to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Peter tells them that if they repent, their sins would be wiped away. If they repented, there would be times of refreshment and restoration. There would be a new and right relationship with God. Peter knew that the Jews needed to be converted. They needed to turn towards God. They needed to see Jesus as the Messiah they were waiting for as the place of safety, as the place of refuge. They needed to see Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Peter was commissioned by Jesus to be a witness to all those in Jerusalem, and he took that commission very seriously. In verse 21, Peter told the Jews that Jesus will remain in heaven until all things are restored. There is a sense that the repentance of the nation of Israel is one of the all things. It seems that the return of Jesus on earth in glory was dependent on the Jews' acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah. Peter wanted the Jews to recognize the identity of Jesus, not just individually, but corporally on a national level. In verse 22, Peter continues to say that the prophet that was foretold by Moses was Jesus. The Jews would have known from Moses' prophecy that disobedience to that prophet would lead to judgment. If the Jews repented and turned to God, they would be spared judgment. But Peter wanted to make sure they understood that if they rejected Jesus a second time, they would face judgment. This is big stuff. It's no wonder that Peter and John found themselves in prison. Peter ends his speech to the Jewish people by reminding them that they were God's chosen people. Through him, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. 
when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to the Jews. If the Jews repent and turn to God, Jesus will bless them and turn them away from their sin. As I close, I just want to go back to the healing for a moment. I just want to go back to that event to remind us of the continuing power in the name of Jesus. As followers of Christ, as believers, there may come a time in your life or in the life of someone you know where you will be prompted by the Spirit to do something out of the ordinary. It might end up as a healing. It might end up as a speech that leads to repentance. It might just be a word. It is in those times that we must remember that there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. It is never up to you. It is never dependent on how spiritual you are or aren't. It is always about Jesus. When we sense a prompting, when we sense God saying, do this or do that, or say this or say that, we do not need to worry about why. We just need to trust in the Spirit's leading and the power and authority in the name of Jesus. I personally have only witnessed one supernatural healing in my life. It was over 20 years ago. I was running a youth and young adult camp on the Sunshine Coast. The theme was prayer. Just before the camp began, one of the young adults who was attending was working as a parking attendant and was clipped by a side mirror. The mirror hit his face, and as a result, his teeth were an absolute mess. It was only hours before the camp, so he decided to come anyway. But within hours of arriving, he came to me and said he needed to go home because he couldn't stand the fact that absolutely everyone was staring at his teeth. I must admit that even as he was saying that, I was thinking to myself, man, those teeth are a mess. They're going every which way. I was thinking he was going to need serious dental surgery. We agreed that after the talk, I would drive him to the ferry and he would head home. Our speaker's talk was on prayer, and I really don't remember much about the talk itself, but I do remember the simple prayer at the end. It went something like this. God, if there is anyone you want to heal, please heal him or her in the name of Jesus. At that moment, unbeknownst to any one of us, the young adult with the teeth issue heard something click and felt something move in his mouth. He said nothing, but he ran to the bathroom and looked in the mirror, and he couldn't believe what he saw. His teeth were perfect. Now, I don't have any idea why God decided to perform that miracle that day, but I do know one thing. Before the miracle, God made sure that every single teenager and every single young adult looked long and hard at that mouth so that after the healing, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that something supernatural had happened. All of a sudden, those teens and young adults, like the Jews in 
the first century had to figure out how to process the event. What did they think of this Jesus? What did they think of the Jesus of Nazareth who gives others power to heal in his name? Let us pray. Holy God, as we wrestle with our thoughts and as we think about the authority and the power that you give to your disciples, we pray that if and when you prompt us, we would be willing and we would trust. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.